out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 show on David Eastall. As you know, we have a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Comet Game because I recently spoke to David Christian, a.k.a. David Feck, or Charlie Damage. To find out more about life, love and poetry and everything in between, the band are still going and he's still making music. Hurrah! Anyway, so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat that we edit out, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. David, it's over to you. I mean, I, I'm five, five years older than you. Yeah, five, 69. So I, I totally miss glam. I mean, I, I mean, to be perfectly honest and everyone probably goes oh god when i say this but I, I guess the first musical thing i was was a mod also where i grew up in north london i i the estate i grew up on it was mods everywhere right so you kind of like to fit in and i loved the jam and i loved um, and i was i was really obsessed with the 60s that kind of that that early obsession with anything the 60s the music the films the the general kind of atmosphere of it influenced me you know it kind of got me into a lot of things yes and i think a lot of that was was weirdly enough i think because in those days in on television you had the monkeys on saturday morning and the banana splits or whatever and you had the avengers and the prisoner and all these to us exotic tv shows which which, which seemed so kind of like wow this this totally other wo- other world that was only actually 10 15 years ago um kind of influence me but having said that i think my, my very first um epiphany was david bowie in that i remember me and my i had a friend at school called austin hornbrook which is a beautiful name mm. um, and we were we were really young but we were obsessed with david bowie and we'd have we would play snooker in his in his room and uh in finchley and argue about which was the best album and and stuff i think he, i even used to get this like David Bowie fanzine from um, Soho, and and it was like the first music that you know I was I was, I was buying stuff that came out at the time that I liked, like I liked Susie and the Banshees and Orange Juice and you know, but bands that were kind of popular at the time but were good. Mm-hmm. I was quite lucky and I didn't like too many shit bands, <laughs> a, a few that I won't mention. Yes, but you know, yeah, David Bowie. <laughs> He was <laughs> the one. That's the short answer. That's uh, which, which kind of always was always in the background because even you know when you got into the kind of sixties stuff and I mean I really loved the the sixties Bowie stuff. Quite frankly, I still really like that first album. I think that's brilliant. And all those early sixties singles he did, I dig everything and um, Silly Boy Blue and all that. Can't stop but, thinking about me. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff. But you know the glad, you know the, the the Bowie that you kind of you're drawn to is that kind of mysterious Ziggy, Aladdin Sane kind of Bowie. Yes, but it doesn't really fit with the '60s thing at all because you know I, I had no interest in any other '70s music. I had couldn't T-Rex or Roxy music. I couldn't care less. You know I didn't like '70s music. It was, Blimey. So what David would... Bowie kind of stood out as like not be, you know, even though it was very 70s and, you know, it's kind of stereotypical 70s. To me, it was it was more about, I don't know, the mystery or something. And, yes. and, the, and, and the whole 
yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yes, it was it was kind of a strange one, really. Did your parents were they did they have any influence on you? Did they sort of play records or have a particular sort of um, album or artist that they used to play yeah, well, constantly? I mean, I was quite lucky, and they were kind of mods, and they um, they were both worked in the fashion industry in the sixties, which <laughs> uh, you know, and so I I kind of inherited a lot of records that were good, right? Soul record, Motown, and Who, and and things like that, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, they, you know, they, they had good taste. So I, it was, I would, I kind of grew up hearing good music. Yeah, and did you and have even, like, even the cheesy music my mum liked, like ABBA, is good music. You know, it's got that melancholic feel to it. So it wasn't like, God bless. They were into Os- the Osmonds or whatever it is. <laughs> Peters and Lee. Oh, see, yeah. Abba, Abba was kind of perfect pop. You know, you kind of, if you if you like music, you couldn't say, I don't like Abba, because you think, well, it's kind of of its type. It's perfect. You know, it's like you yeah. can't, you know, it's yeah, like, I, like, well, I, you're probably not into music. There's never been a point in my life where I've thought that Abba were not, not a good band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no matter how cool I'm trying to be, it was always like, yeah, you, you got to like Abba. Yeah. Well, I think if you listen to something like Ace of Spades or Dancing Queen, you think they are perfect record. They are, you know, the perfection of those two records. And there's others, obviously, Purple Haze and people like that. But there is just something <coughs> incredible about those records that are just like, everything about it is just unbelievable. It's not going to happen more than once or twice in an artist's life if it ever happens, but it is quite amazing when it holds together and you think, God, that must have been incredible to be in that studio. And they do epitomise their era, which is always good, you know, because at the time you don't think about that, but it's always nice to have a sound or something. I guess quite like, you know, the C86 stuff here, you you immediately are thrown back to a certain... And you see everything, you know, you see the clothes, you see the, the situation in the country or whatever from hearing the sound of that music. So with your interest in the 60s, it wasn't so much the, the hippie counterculture and, you know, tune in, turn on, drop out. It was much more the mod, you know, mod side. Well, of a bit of every, I mean, I was very into like the whole psychedelic thing and the mod thing. And I just kind of, yeah, I just found, I mean, hippie, the hippie bit. Not so much, <laughs> but the the political side of the hippie. I mean, the, the best thing about the hippies was the political side, and the, the kind of the f- the freedom and and so on. So there was, and I liked a lot of the music. Yes, you know, I can't. When did you uh, first hear the action? Was that there was was there a moment when you heard the action? Went God, that's well. I, I I I was very. I guess I guess my my generation, <laughs> like you know, people who were born around my era. Uh, we were lucky in that suddenly there was all these labels like Ed Cell and um, Bam Caruso and uh, what was the other one, Duram or whatever it was, that started putting out these compilations of 60s bands. And it, none of these bands had, had any, no, no one had heard of them or had any interest in these bands. And then these very great labels. Also importantly, that aesthetically they were incredible, the, mainly due to Phil Smee who did, Pam Caruso, mm. who, had very, who did most of the covers. And there'd be like this, the best of the action. And I remember that one because Paul Weller had mm. written the leave notes. Yes. And, thing of like, and they were from Kentish Town, which was down the road from where I, I grew up. And um, it was just kind of like, well, it's just, you know, Paul Weller likes it. It's got to be good. Yes. It looks really good. It's on this label that everything I've bought from this label I've enjoyed. 
I've never heard of any of these bands. I remember buying the best of the left bank that was on Bam Caruso. And it was just, you know, it was exotic. The 13-4 elevators and all the all these groups, there was something exotic about the sleeves and the, the, the names of the band and the way they looked. And you would buy them and nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 times, it was like, wow, this is incredible. Mm. Why have I... There's, there was no way you would have you would have heard it because there was, you know, these things were completely lost. There was no internet. There was no fanzines really about this stuff. There was no streaming. So there was you're, just like, you're 15 and you hear the action for the first time. It's, you know, I think Phil Collins cool. also loved them as well. Apparently, so. yeah, yeah, it's his favourite band. It's his favourite. So one thing about Phil Collins that is. Uh, is redeemable <laughs> did your parents were you sort of more like Bieber fashion and dandies than mods during you know your parents period uh me or them them were they kind of more of a Bieber-esque dandy quality than a... i think they, you know they like like most of the mods they kind of evolved so they'd start off with the very short hair and the very you know the crops uh everything was very short and kind of quite simple and then it evolved into the, you know, more, but there was a bit more fanciness and, like you say, dandiness going on. So I think they kind of dabbled. Yes, they dabbled. So you were, you would have been, because I grew up in the middle of the countryside, and um, yes, there wasn't much culture, you know, status quo, heavy metal, that kind of, you know, greasy yeah. mopeds and motorbikes and all that kind of stuff. And discos that would have a heavy metal headbanging section, which was always quite interesting to remember. But did you, I mean, did you sort of pick up on that whole sort of punk period that started coming along? I know you said punk didn't sort of tickle your taste buds much, but you must have been kind of aware of it. No, I mean, I mean it, it wasn't. I didn't like the I didn't like the mass macho kind of side of that was the thing that put me off punk was this kind of the aggression and the macho kind of like okay, yeah, all that yes and the spit it you know the the idea of it, it was and still is like fantastic it's also this kind of like the the kind of dismantling of the whole prog hippie you know the, the hippie thing had just got so kind of bloated and horrible and musicianship. Yes. You know, and it's like, I'd not, music, I mean, musicianship is such a kind of horrible, <laughs> horrible kind of a, a weight to have to pull around if if you don't care about that kind of side, whether it's, if it's the emotion that's more important to you. And to punk was brilliant in that respect. I just didn't like much of the music. Yes. I, I, it's only when kind of I started to discover, well, the buzz, I, that single's going steady. That was when it was like, oh, this is pop music. Yes. It's like pop music. It, and he sings in an effeminate way, so that it was perfect. And then you'd get into things like Wire, and I mean, I love I love the Fall when I first heard them, and Subway Sect, and so they're they're punk bands in their own way because they because of the ethos of punk. But that first run of punk bands, it was just boring. It was like to me, it was like just boring rock, mm. boring yes. rock with like more male aggression. Yeah, so I know. Shouldn't care less, and it was everywhere. Where, I mean, what I kind of va- really kind of had this weird image of, of <laughs> being in a car on the North Circular, which is this motorway that goes around North London, and uh, being stopped by the police because there was some IRA thing, and they were searching cars because it was like uh, everyone was, you know, people would get searched a lot in those days because of the IRA, and. A Sex Pistols song, I think it was a Sex Pistols song, came on the radio and I was getting all agitated and stressed out 
and this music was somehow either helping me or making it worse. And I couldn't <laughs> quite figure it out. And, and that's like a perfect shot of what it was like. In you know, I would have been eight years old. Uh, of, of punk to me is this kind of paranoid stressed aggression or something i don't know yes that doesn't really make sense but yeah but when you got to 14 which was probably about 83 the year of the smiths appearing in our lives did that right. did that new world of indie pop start to sort of interest you because well the smiths thing, I, could, I didn't need the smiths i totally understand why the people that, that you know People of my age or a bit younger or whatever, the Smiths is this this kind of um, shining light. Mm-hmm. It was like, ah, it's okay to be weird, and it, it okay to be shy and all this stuff. But I'd, I'd by that point I'd found the, the TV personalities, and they kind of did it all for me already. So I remember I remember hearing Three Wishes by the, the TV personalities, and I was a weird kid. I was very shy. I mean, insane. I, I, my mum tells a story when I would first went to school and I would just, I couldn't talk. I would just scream like, without any sound coming out because I was, I couldn't communicate with people. <laughs> so I was quite a, yeah, I was quite a bizarre little shit. And, um, and the tea, for some reason that song, I don't know why that song, I, list, I heard it and it was just like, oh, okay, I, I can, I'm, you know, there's, there's other people like me or there's a, you know, this, this somehow speaks to me. Yes. And I'm buying a couple of their records, and and, and it helped that TVPs, there was a, a lot of kind of 60s iconography and imagery and a kind of slight mod element to it and psychedelic element. So it was perfect. So that was, for me, was what did what the Smiths did for everyone else. So by the time the Smiths came around, it was like, I like this music. I don't really like the singer, partic- the singing particularly, but it has a similar '60s like the kitchen sink films that I liked. Yes, you know, some of the covers and the 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 lyrics, and I really like the jangly guitars because I love the birds and all that. So it was like, yeah, it, I bought all their records, but as soon as I did, I stopped buying their records at a certain point and had no interest in them really. Other than that, it was yeah, there were I know. It was, it's hard to explain. It was, I'm, I'm glad they existed and it was good that they were there. But to me, it was like, well, they kind of sound like the go-betweens, but with TVP's covers or something. It, it was hard to be obsessed with them because because what they what were they, they were perfect at, I didn't need. Right. Yes. No, because... Um... Yeah. So yes, what was the, what was the TVP track? Actually, I need to go and listen to this. Uh, three wishes. Three wishes. God. Yes, Wham Records. Did you start? Yes, Wham. 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 <laughs> I know. Yeah. And there was an amazing label. There was. Um, they had some good stuff on there. The One Thousand Violins were on there as well, and various yes. other people. And uh, <coughs> and uh, yes, there was a band that got a reissue a couple of years ago on the Optic Nerve label. I think. The the uh, kind of the singer I don't know God she was she was um, Dan's girlfriend at the time I can't oh, remember Hangman's beautiful daughter yes God yeah, they were brilliant yeah I love that band yeah yeah with Phil yeah, King there was, a, there was a point years ago when I was going to start a reissue label with someone else and I was going to wanted to reissue like lost gems from the eighties era because nobody was doing it at that point and that was going to be my 
that was hopefully going to be my first <clears throat> release. <laughs> yes. If I could ever, you know, sort it out. And it ne luckily it never happened because the one that they put out, that was, you know, beautiful. It was yeah, really nice. Absolutely. And um, just imagine trying to do all the, the, the admin would be hell. So when did yeah, you go I'm to... Yeah, sure it would look like shit and, you know, it would probably be in a, a cardboard sleeve with like <laughs> come out of a flexi flexi disc instead of a vinyl or something but I yeah know. so when did you go to your first gig when was your first kind of moment where you went right and walked through those doors the lights were dark the lights came on the band walked on you went wow this is it but my first gig was at Susie and the Banshees but I don't remember much I think Hammersmith I don't remember much about it apart from that my mum picked me up afterwards and I was embarrassed because there was all these like older goths and what, what post-punks well what, what would they call them in those days i think called goths or post-punks po positive positive punks i think it was the name right and quite you know I, I was very young and i she probably shouldn't have let me go to hammersmith <laughs> let, let alone to a susie the banshees gig but i i've literally no memory of the gig i'm sure it was great uh but gig gig that i kind of remember uh was Oh, was it actually? Oh, no, it was the, yeah, it was the TV personalities. And mm -hmm. I think they were supported by a thousand violins and it was in a place in North London. And then it was just this, the floodgates opened because I had, I found a diary where um, every night, I mean, literally every night there was like, I'd written down like four gigs. So you go to, you could see, go see the shop assistants or the Bodines or, you know, it was everywhere. Right. Usually for like two quid. Uh, You'd go there, you'd buy a fan. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it sounds cliche now, but that's exactly what it was like. And you had certain places like... Did you go to the living room? Oh, yeah, 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 the living room, yeah. Not, I mean, I was at the tail end of the living room. Right. What about Alice in Wonderland? Did you go to that gig, that place? The, the psych club? No, no. I wanted to, but it was open too late. Right. And, uh, yeah, and... and the thought of trying, and getting back from Soho at like two in the morning. And I, I think I was a bit t intimidated by the fact that I didn't have the gear. You know, I, <laughs> it was quite hard. You know, I, don't, I, wasn't, I wasn't rich. And it was like, how am I going to get a, like, a paisley blouse? You know, I don't want to look like a dickhead. So <laughs> um, I, I think that played a part. Yes, well, absolutely. So look, 85, we're, we're at that sort of height of indie pop, really, aren't we, at this stage? And you're 16. Do you leave yeah. school at this stage or do you stay on for A-levels? Uh, um, I, I, yeah, I kind of, yeah, a bit of both. Um, I, I do remember being it was my last year of school and it was, there was three of us who were into that music. And, you know, we're, um, we're, we're completely into that music. I think we all did a fanzine and my friend sam who was a year above me um did a, a very good fanzine and he he was friends with um jesse garen and the desperados he oh my god did he jesse garen um that's a band that i can't get to interview god jesse garen oh you Ang try angus angus is uh he's a lovely guy um i'm sure he would do it but <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, yeah so you know we were we were these kind of converted kind of maniacs who were obsessed with this music, and because um, you mentioned you mentioned things. the shop assistants, were you into that fuzz guitar like Jesus yeah. and the Mary Chain? And, yeah. Oh and, yeah. I mean, I, I do. 
another stupid story. Um, I remember buying Psycho Candy when it came out because I thought they were you know, this, this band of the, the greatest band. And walking through, it would have been High Barnet where I lived, uh, High Barnet High Street, and um, being stopped by the police. And I had to go, and all I wanted to do was get home and listen to this record. I was so excited about listening to this record. And apparently I looked a bit like some dodgy bloke that had been arrested for something. And I had to do that thing where they used to stand in a, um, oh, a, yeah. Line, a line. Yeah. And it was so bizarre, such a bizarre thing. I was like, what? And I just, I just, I just want to go home and listen to my record. And uh, so I was, I was waiting. And obviously, you know, I, luckily I didn't get like, yes, it's him. <laughs> um, and so I eventually got home and I was so, and it took so long and I was so cross and, pissed off by this whole experience and I got home and it was kind of per the perfect time to listen to it yes. and just kind of stuck my almost like stuck my head in the speakers and just turned it up and this like white noise with obviously these melodies it was yeah it was, it was I can remember it so vividly because it was just like this beautiful moment of like you know being carried away and this like wave of, of horrible noise and because my mum would just came in the room and was like, what the fuck, you know, what is this? <laughs> I think up to that point, she quite liked some of the music. She really liked Judy and Cope, who was my kind of pop star hero at the time. Yes. There was just like something had changed and now it's just like this aggressive white noise that he's listening to. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So then as this sort of 80s progressed, you know, 87, the year the Smiths break up, which is huge. And obviously at that chapter, the five year indie world and then ecstasy comes along. And then we have that kind of Manchester rave culture sort of yeah. life. Then we have the, the My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, period. I, sat, I sat that one out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, go I towards could... the My Bloody Valentine and, and sort of shoegazing? Not really. I... I... I really, I liked, I, I, I liked that band a lot because uh, I liked the, the, the other, the earlier stuff they'd done, and the strawberry and wine, and, um, and we kind of, would, where we lived, we lived, well, I lived in near Kentish Town, and we, we'd go to their house, where they squat, basically, so we kind of knew them in a, you know, weird way. So it was like this weird thing of like we went to all their gigs because we, we knew them. Did we you know Dave? Did you know David at that stage? Because he was, no. the, he'd left no. by then. Yeah, he left then. So, um, this is yeah. They there was a whole bunch of them that lived in this squat in this place, Lady Margaret Road, and it was just every night was a party, and everyone was an acid, and it was all quite debauched, and it was quite a nice street. So you, you'd always have these cur curtain twitches, kind of like what's going on over there, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, so we kind of, it was this thing of well, more of a kind of like, oh, those guys we know are playing down the road, kind of, you know, they were always playing North London. Yes. I really like that. It was, um, isn't anything. But it's, it's one of those records that I, I have no interest in listening to again, apart from as a nostalgic thing. I probably yes. played it hundreds of times when it came out, thinking like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Because I think that's when well, I, I saw them at the Norwich Arts Centre with Silverfish supporting them. And that was around that time. I remember John Peel playing that album, all twelve inch, quite a lot. Sort of yeah. feed me with your kisses, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. It was all it was epic, wasn't it? But you had to be eighteen, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. At the time, it's yeah. It's, it's, but then when everything else starts sounding like that, it's that its moment has gone, and I and it's you know I had no interest in any other 
when you say shoegaze, it was just to me, it was just Dallas potatoes. It was just really Did Galaxy Five Hundred. Oh yeah, no, uh, yeah, uh, but I don't really see. I saw, I saw them more as a kind of like the third Velvet Underground album, but with the louder guitars kind of thing. I didn't really think of them in that way. Yes, and and, and their actual songs, you know, there, there was a <laughs> where a lot of the because I lived in Oxford for a little bit working in a record shop and it was at the height of shoegaze. So I saw a lot of these bands play. Yeah, you would have been, um, you would have been at the height. Yeah, there would have been those bands like Tallulah Gosh and the Sarah Record label had started. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I used to, because I used to order the records in and, uh, oh God, um, I had quite a good relationship with getting Sarah Records in because in Oxford they were quite popular. Yes. Uh, student town and everything. And the shoegaze things, so slow dive, slow dive, quite popular. And I would get like the, all all the Sarah records. We would get copies of, and I would keep one for myself. So I had, at some point, I had everything they ever did, and I think I sold them or gave them away, apart from the, a couple of the bands that I actually liked, like the Orchids, uh, for about yeah, probably like a quid <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the lot. And now I just like punching myself in the face yes. every day it's but, a, it's interesting the one label that would just has just grown in you know it's like gold isn't it if you were going to invest yeah. in something you know it just keeps yeah. getting bigger and there's a new book coming out there's been already one book and a film and now there's another book coming out at this year on on sale records it's just like it's a it just keeps giving doesn't it? and then math and it seems to be very popular in japan so there you go yeah yeah i mean but it's kind of it's, i don't know <laughs> I, you know, I like a lot of those people, and and I like some of the, a lot of the, some of the music as well. But it's kind of, kind of, it's, um, how am I going to say this? I don't even know how, what I'm, what I'm actually talking about. Um, given a certain kind of impression about, I mean, there's the obviously there was the, the political feminine side of it, which is I think is very important, and that's one of the reasons why it's still a vital label to talk about. And the fact yeah. that, you know, that side. And then musically, you had a lot of bands like the Field Mice who were, well, you know, they were doing different things. They were making electronic music and mel melancholic electronic music and so on. And the Orchids and, and the Sea Urchins were great. And that, but the, I would say the majority of the bands have this certain kind of sound and look that, you can either look at, I was like, this is great because it's quite, have more of a kind of a feminine, a feminine kind of um, take on things. Or it's give, given birth to that whole twee thing. And then you get lumped in with the twee thing. And, there, and anything, any music that is regarded as C86 or indie pop, it's suddenly this kind of under this twee umbrella, <laughs> which, you know, I, I personally... I, you know, I don't, I don't think the group I'm in have, have anything to do with that side. You know, no, I, I would, I don't think many people zero would. Twee, twee elements of it. Not that I'm against, you know, sensitivity. It's not what I mean. It's not that. It's this kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I used to listen to, I don't know, people like John Waters, the producer of John Peel, I think he sometimes said he, he, 
he liked the idea of a lot of the bands they played more than the reality of them, whereas he said John yeah, Peel really amazing. liked the bands and would play them at home, <laughs> whereas he went, I think we should play these, you know, this band, because, you know, they, there is something unique about them. And I think that with quite a bit of music that I listen, uh, sort of have listened to and certain labels, it, it's sometimes the idea is better than the reality. Well, yeah, I mean, punk. Punk, is, you know, the original punk bands, the idea is way, way more exciting than having to sit through a stiff little fingers album or whatever it's well, uh, sham 69 or sham 69 yeah it yeah and, and sometimes that's enough the idea is you know that that's, that's the it <laughs> the idea so then uh, you were you're based in oxford so this is this is the tricky kind of changeover period isn't it a bit like um you know, a change of shift because then we, you know, we had Manchester, we had the Seattle grunge scene. So musically, you know, a lot of bands, especially the C86 bands, were just, they were falling to the wayside. They were just rolling into ditches because they, they just didn't know where to go and what to do. So they were quitting left, right and centre, the Mighty yeah. Lemon Drops, the Primitives, all those sort of bands. So what, so how do you sort of then decide you're going to, you know, pick up the baton and become, you know, part <laughs> of that, that in- world? <coughs> 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 Sorry. Um, well, I, I guess because when when we started, I was I, yeah I was in exile in Oxford because I I was kind of I had to leave London for otherwise I was going a bit bonkers, and I'd had in it, I was there by accident really. It was I I was invited by friend people like Matthew from Tukulukosh and stuff like come. Oh, Amelia's brother. And, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, when I first moved there, I lived with Pete and Amelia in the oh house. Oh my god! Did you go to university um, with them? No, no, I didn't go to uni- or anything like that. No, right. No, I just knew them from the gig, and I became friends with Matthew um, from drunkenly hanging out with him. Because they just <laughs> played. They played a gig last night, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, no, yeah. I would, I would have been there if I lived in the country, but yeah. So exile on Main Street. God, you went to yeah, Oxford. Yeah, so I, I kind of it was. <laughs> I, I, How did you meet Matthew and Amelia? I, 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 Matthew, I, they played a gig with the Pastels in Labbert Grove, and, after, and I was a bit um, inebriated. And I, they, I was on the tube home, and he was on the tube, and I just thought I'm going to talk to him because I, I just saw his band, and I kind of accosted him, and uh, and we got on, and then. You know, he quite liked the TV personalities. And I think I'd met up with him a couple of times at TVP's gigs. And, and yeah, we just kind of started hanging out. We were, right. both, we were both quite, um, what's a good word for this? Um, scurrilous. Uh, get, you know, troublemakers at the time, I think. Let's yes. say. So we kind of egged each other on um, to, you know, climb trees and do stupid things yeah and and so heaven I, and heaven yeah obviously heavenly had started hadn't they by them yeah yeah and then um i, I forgot the question was. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yes how did you, yes you're oxford exile in oxford how did you find yeah, so I was, uh, yeah and i we, we it was i lived with a guy called phil uh who worked in the local hour price who was an in, uh indie kid and we bonded over our love of felt I think, and the and the Wolfhounds and McCarthy. It wasn't Phil and, King, uh, was it? No, no, no. Phil, who was in comic, Phil Sutton, right? And uh, who continues to make music. He lives in New York now. 
um, and fly the fly the indie flag. And I kind of I kind of wanted to do a, like a mix. I, I thought let's just we we're kind of bored, and it was like let's have a band, and um, I wanted to sound a bit like the Swell Maps mixed with the TV personalities, and he wanted to sound like Felt and the Wolfhounds and and so on, and it, we couldn't neither of us could really play anything. So he decided to play drums, but we didn't have drums. We used cardboard uh, boxes with paint sticks, paintbrushes. And I had a crap guitar that well, I would just make noise with. Yes. Then it happened. And we were quite lucky in that friends of mine, at, at that time, friends of mine in London, because I would go to London quite a lot uh, to hang out and go to gigs, um, who were old indie kids. Uh, I'd started this band, Huggy Bear, and so the whole of the, the you know that that scene started, and everyone in that scene was old indie. You know, they were all Pastels fans and indie kids who were getting into this American music that was coming out from K Records and called Rock Stars. Yes, so it was this kind of moment of like good timing, more than anything. Of like, I had this. We, me, me and Phil had this band that wasn't a band. We didn't. We were totally inept. But there was this scene starting where it being inept and lo-fi was was actually a good thing. <laughs> so we kind of and and we kind of got to know Dan from the TVPs, and he started just saying, "Well, just come and support us every time we play." And you know, he was really supportive and and sweet. And so, if the TV personalities were playing somewhere, we would play, and it kind of that's how it started, really. That's fantastic! What an amazing story. But you had a you had Sarah on vocals, didn't you? George on bass. Yeah, yeah because then, yeah, but then we had that thing of because it was me and Phil, and then we started doing like you know, let, we have to do gigs now. Uh, I mean, we've got that first gig, first gig we did, with, which was with Huggy Bear and the TV personalities. Uh, was that probably two pound totally, fifty? Totally wasn't it? Band. It was like me and this guy George, who was this mod friend of mine, who then decided he couldn't sing. So he tried to play the bass and it was, you know, it was a total made up band. And, and then the next gig, it was like, okay, we, we should actually get some people. And, uh, so it was just like asking, you know, going up to people that we kind of knew and saying, do you want to sing in a band? It was really like that. And the first gig we did with that band, we had to, cause a friend of mine from London, Sam, uh, he could actually play the guitar because so I thought we needed one musician. That was yes. my, that was my genius idea. It was like let's have like one person who can play an instrument, uh, and that was Sam. So you know, I was introducing the band to each other ten minutes before we went on stage for our first gig. <laughs> like Sam, this is Sarah. Sarah, this is Sarah, you know, and um, thinking this will never, get, <laughs> this will never really get further than this. So, um, which is why we, we also have a shit name because I, I had to think of a name for the band on the way to the, the gig. And I just thought of the, the gain on the guitar and the amplifier. <sighs> it was the thing I liked the most because you turn it up, it feeds back. So I was like, I don't know what this means, but it makes brilliant noise. And a, a, a comet, I, I think I read something that day about comets. Uh, you know, if you see a comet, it means impending disaster. So that seemed quite that seemed quite an apt <laughs> <laughs> metaphor. That like, yeah, that's us. 
that was it. That was Sym- it. Symbolic of impending disaster. So where did and... you record your first single? This was um, Some Hearts Pay to Lie. Oh, oh God, I, felt, I can't remember. Um, oh, Granny's. Yeah, Granny's. Same place that um, Biff Bang Pow recorded. Right. Deep back. Um, yeah, that, that, that was just literally because Ouija, the label, I think they had a deal. So I think most most of that Huggy Bear stuff and our stuff was just done there because he he, he gave them a discount or something. Yeah. This bizarre thing of like, I don't even know how to tune my instrument or I don't even know how this works or, oh, God, this amp's got more than two buttons. What am I supposed to do? So, you know, and this whole concept, recording concept of like, I thought you just did it all live. You just played like you were playing a gig and he press, presses record and then it's like, all right, cheers, see ya. <laughs> but no, you know, you're like, oh, well, that wasn't right. Can you do that bit again? Or the, it was just like, what the fuck is going <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. Because I remember Ouija Records, because um, I, I sort of had a big silverfish phase in life, as oh, you yeah. do, and um, was obsessed with them for the first couple of singles and album. And, they um, also, uh, sorry, they are also uh, always at that My Below Valentine house, especially Fuzz. Fuzz, yes. But I remember a little chap used to hang out, Gary Walker. He didn't he was he Mr. Ouija Records? He was Gary was Ouija, yeah. Right. Gary was used to be the dancer for the membranes. He'd be like their go-go dancer. Nice. If you you know, go if you go and see the membranes, which I only did if I had no choice, Gary would get up on stage and usually half naked and and then the next thing he's saying is like, Do you want to make a record? <laughs> You're the bloke who just dances naked with the membranes. <laughs> Have you had a DPS check lately? Um <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a free for all, wasn't it? So yeah, so then you, so once the single happened, was it just like full on for the album? Did you suddenly have to sit down and get serious at this stage? <laughs> um, well, you know, what, yeah. Once we got to number one in the charts, it was time to, you know, bring in the, the, phil- the London Philharmonic <laughs> Orchestra. Yeah, I, I do. I do remember we, yeah, we, we, weirdly enough, we we recorded our album in Crouch End about that 30 seconds from where I ended up working for a few years in a record shop and um, above a patisserie uh, with, with the drummer from loop stroke servants was our producer, John, who was lovely. And <clears throat> yeah, it was like, Oh shit. You, and you supposed to have like, like good songs for an album. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was weird. It was like, We'd had we had a load of songs, most of which were mine, and most of which were just kind of like terrible television personalities, kind of rip-offs or you know wanting to sound a bit a bit. Uh, let's let's sound a bit like the Who and a bit like the Birds and a bit like Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, but without the, having any idea of how to do that. So we had this kind of. We all had, you know, a, I think I would say a wide range of tastes, but yes. we did that kind of you know, soul and punk and 60s and indie and stuff. And trying to kind of like put it all, my, my whole thing was like, let's put it all all together. You know, let's somehow make a record that is a bit of all of these things. But none of us know how to do it. And most of us can't play our instrument. And, uh, you know, I, we don't know what we're doing at all. 
And I'm sure any moment now, uh, Gary's going to come to his senses and say, what are you doing? Stop, stop, stop. So everything was very kind of like in the moment. Yes, it was, it sounds, you know, but it does sound, you know, having two vocalists is a great idea. I don't, don't, yeah, I don't know why, I don't know how that, <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to pretend it's like, yeah, it was a deliberate good idea. It might, maybe it was. I just, I think it was a, maybe a mix of not being confident enough to be the singer, the lead singer, and thinking it was a very good thing. To, you know, it was deliberately, we, we had two girls in the band, we would have had more if, it was just it was very empowering that in those days you didn't think about like oh there's two girls in there it was just like there are five people in this band and two of them happen to be female yes it was just like you just picked the, the, the people who were the best fit with that's what it was yeah did john peel pick up on the band at all well we did a couple of peel sessions so he must have yeah he must have yeah. liked you was like, that with I mean, the famous I'm, dale griffith yeah, because they're, they're coming out. At the end of, there's an album coming out at the end of the year, and um, of all the set, the Peel sessions and the BBC sessions. So. Is this the Precious Recordings of London? No, I, unfortunately, he, he uh, Nicholas was going to put them out, but then the label. I say unfortunate. It's not unfortunate. Uh, tap, I can never say it. Tapete, tap, tapet, tapete, tapete. Yeah, the label that I've been making records with for the last few years. They're, they're putting it out. Right. So ask, they wanted to put it out. And yes. I'm sure they'll do a great job. Yeah, well, that's good it's coming out. Because you had Mike Robinson, didn't you? Not the famous Dale Griffiths. I, I honestly can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember the second session, it was a kind of, it was, maybe it was Mike Hedges or some, you know, some kind of more of a wizened hippie guy. I remember thinking like, oh, God, is a hippie. He's going to make us want to tune up our guitars and stuff and the first session was like in the proper abbey road bit with the, you know like the big beatles room or something so um and then it was all downhill from there and you did three tracks didn't you you did the first one yeah we did three tracks i don't know why we only did three tracks there must have been a reason but i don't know what it is Yes, that's quite interesting. Did you suddenly, you know, because your timing couldn't have been better, you know, you had the Riot Girl, Huggy Bear thing, then you had the sort of beginning of Britpop, the John Major years. where Yeah, we, we were stuck in the, because we kind of got associated with all of it. And there was a, a kind of new mod thing going on. Was it New Wave of New Wave? Oh, yeah, it? with um, these Animal Men and um, Smash. Yeah. So we would, we would play gigs with all these kinds of, but we would play uh St John's Tavern with some mod bands and then we'd play the next day with like Huggy Bear and uh Blood Sausage or Corner Shop and then we'd play with Stereo Lab. Uh uh you know it and people mentioned blur or you know in our in reviews and stuff and it was yeah it was weird and I think everyone in the band probably had a foot in one of those camps each. Yes. Like Sam the guitarist was a bit of a Brit pop kind of you know, Adidas guy and Phil was more of an indie kid. And so it was all, yeah, it was kind of, but we, we were never quite part of any of it. So it never, you know, I, I guess we, we didn't go for it. We were like, we didn't like, okay, we're going to be a Brit pop band. Let's go for it. Yeah. Ma it was... my, my fault because I was just like, I don't want to do that. I don't, I just want to be this. I want to be whatever it is that we are. 
Yeah, because there was certainly an interest in the prisoner, wasn't there? And Patrick McGew, not Patrick something, I can't remember. McGewin. Yeah, McGewin. Yeah, and there was an, I don't know, there was one of those artists who came out with an album of sort of orchestral light music, which suddenly became quite popular during that time. And there was a club, wasn't there, that would play a lot of that kind of yeah. lounge music. That it became yeah, all... lounge was another thing. There was all these things going on. Romo was another one I remember. Oh, my God, romantic. Oh, because we had My Bloody... Uh, my my Life Story came out at that time, yeah. didn't they, with Jake and... Yeah. Romo. What did Romo stand for, by the way? I don't know. It was awful, though. It didn't last <laughs> long. It was fucking horrible. It was um, yeah. It was going yeah, to be, I mean, yes. It was, you know, every, every couple of months there was something. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we kind of were like, to some people we were a bit like all of them, but nothing like any of them. Yeah, because then it was it Select Magazine that appeared, wasn't there, and Vox and yeah. all these massive, and Q Magazine was huge. Because your second album has a, the album, the design is really nice, isn't it? Who put that design together? I, I always do the, I do all the sleeves and all the artwork. So, although I had, to, I had to, that one, it looks a bit nicer than the other ones because Beggar's Banquet, who were the, the label we were on, they made you go use their art department. You know, you had no choice. So it was, <laughs> it was kind of like, well, I've done the cover. It's like, well, you have to give it to them. They have to do something. So it was like, just, just make it look nicer. <laughs> they just made it look nicer. They tidied it up. So they when... tidied it up. Yeah. Because the second album. Bastard. Which looks, which does look, was also on, yeah, Beggars in America and Ouija in yeah. the UK. Was that, that was when we were contenders? We yeah. were seen as, cont- I think, Gary. <laughs> no, Beggars Banquet, I think, had this like stupid, insane thought that we were going to be like the next Britpop kind of sensation. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that record cost quite a lot of money. And uh, I mean, well, quite a lot of money, quite a lot of money for us. And there was, you know, there was a, string sections or whatever and but that never came out because there was another eight tracks that were recorded that were written by sam and sarah in the band and were very full-on you know like the strings and stuff and then we broke up before it came out and they took those songs with them for their next group and so the album came out as a kind of heart not like you know like a half album really right if you, it's just me singing. Well, Sarah sings on backing vocals and some of it. So we we were, we had our moment where it was going to be you're going to be the next thing, but then we imploded just as we, <laughs> you know, were trying to touch the. But I'm actually very happy that I I, I didn't really want to be the next thing. I, I'm sure it wouldn't have happened anyway because we weren't we weren't that kind of high quality. Did you think. have so that was artistic differences came in. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, yeah. I mean, that is pretty much. Uh, yeah, I, I, I put it down to the fact that S- Sam and Sarah, who were writing some of the other the other songs, were, got into Fleetwood Mac, uh, and rumours and that, and kind of thought, yeah, let's try it. And had flutes and things like that, which in hindsight, that yeah, I mean, why not? But at the time, to me, in my kind of like punk ethics it was like fuck off <laughs> um so i think i was i was i i know I, I was kind of doing quite political things and i had a kind of let's say i had a vision and they had a vision yeah so, they were doing the, so they were wafting towards stevie nicks yeah 
Yeah. They will often. Maybe, maybe like, it's like, you know, classic songwriting and, and uh, arranging the songs. And I, you know, at this point, I still couldn't really play my guitar. So <laughs> it's like, I don't want to do that. So, um, did you did the yeah. band ever have problems? I know with Hawkwind, you know, doing that classic 70s period with Lemmy, some members, you know, took speed, some were doing acid. Did you ever have issues within your band with like people not on, not all on the same substance or drugs? Did you think, oh god, if only <laughs> it was... I'm, glad, I'm glad you're comparing us to Hawkwind because that's you know, I've always thought of us as just like Hawkwind, but <laughs> no, I, probably only me. Uh, um, I was probably the only, I. I probably took too much speed for one thing um which no one else really did uh we all liked we all liked a beer um no i don't there was no we weren't really uh we weren't that decadent you know i i i was more out of nerves so i would you know i would get wasted every show and um probably and but because i otherwise i wouldn't wouldn't have been able to cope Yes, there you go. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, you had to. You should have done more mime with Lindsay Kemp or somebody at that stage. That would have got you through those tricky periods on stage. So when you, you know, now we're into Team Tony and New Labour, you know, 97, you had a second John Peel show and your third album, another classic album cover as well. So are you still very kind of feeling optimistic for the band? No, no. I mean, that was quite a freeing thing. It was like when the... When the rest of the band left, <laughs> it was kind of like the um, the ambition went with them because they they wanted to you know they wanted to achieve something yes uh, and be popular and I I really was never interested I was just happy to make records and I've always had this kind of thing of like you know comic game is supposed to be like a glorious failure like it doesn't matter if anyone it, you know, it doesn't the, the being popular is not the point uh it's not going to happen anyway so i kind of realized that quite quickly and i thought if i'm uh, you know if, if i'm in charge now which is kind of what happened it's definitely not going to happen so let i just want to do what i want to do and that it became this like really nice moment of like i mean that that record that came out the tiger town is probably quite um what's the word you, you say when um uh when you try and do something from the heart, it can become quite not pompous, but um, self-indulgent. That's the word. Yes. Self-indulgent. Uh, it's possibly quite self-indulgent, but just because it was like I can do what I want now, and and the people in the band then, I asked, I just like asked my friend, I John, who was in Huggy Bear, and he'd left Hug, Huggy Bear, and I just asked him, and I just asked people who were f- close friends of mine, and we all liked the same music. Again most of which couldn't play an instrument. I mean, Darren, who was the drummer, he, he learned the drums by listening to the songs on a Walkman in a rehearsal room that was empty and just drumming along. And literally every gig was like him practicing the drum, <laughs> working out how to play the drums, which I thought was perfect. And that, to me, that was the thing. It was like, this is perfect. Because uh, this is like anti this is like anti how you're supposed to do things yes it almost became my kind of like well however you're supposed to do it let's not do that <laughs> right god there's, so, a, there's a purity in your artistic vision yeah and, and and i think that album was a perfect it was like so much of it was just like in made up on the spot and um 
but it was also like I, you know i was pouring this stuff out from my from, from inside because it was like this might be the only opportunity i've got to kind of make this another record yes so i'm just gonna kind of and i was listening to a lot of jimmy webb and john cale and things like that and kind of getting more into the idea of this that kind of music and it doesn't sound like that at all. So, so with, with yeah. the band Mark Three, you, you have another lineup, don't you? With this time with John John and Woody, Woody Taylor on drums. Yes, Woody, yes. How did you come across Woody? Because um, <coughs> I was living in Croydon at that point and Woody, I got, I got to know through this record shop, Beano's, that was like this huge record shop. I think it was the biggest in Europe at the time. And he was this, you know, rockabilly guy, uh, which I kind of found interesting. And he played with Morrissey which had, and the Meteors and and so on. And he was just a lovely guy. And I think he wanted to do something different. And and <laughs> we were quite different. And, I mean, he'd never heard the Velvet Underground. And I remember saying to him somehow, oh, you'd like them. They're a bit like, um, I think I said, like, because uh, I was thinking of the more kind of like what goes on kind of Velvet Underground. You know, that kind of like... Doo, 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 doo. And I was saying, it's like Booker T and the MGs made by drug addicts or something like that. And he was like, yeah, okay. And I was kind of like, yeah, that's the kind of thing we do. So we just... He came to a rehearsal and... It, it, I think he just thought it was so funny, maybe, that it was like, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> and then, you know, and then he became... He kind of produced, produced our records and... And he became the kind of the sensible member of the band. He was perfect because he was the one that was like... Well, you know, actually, maybe we should, you know, maybe you should tune your guitar. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you should like write some proper words and put them in an order, and you know, and he, he and uh, you know, from then until now, he's he's been the perfect person to have. Yes, and being on voice. and being on Kill Rock Stars must be really good, and uh, you know, for a lady. Yeah, it was lovely. I mean, yeah, those are, they were lovely people, and. The, and you knew that they'd asked. They'd asked us because they liked us, and it, and it was a. Whenever we would we would play there and hang out with them, it was like, you know, we've been quite lucky with labels, and it was just like, these are these are our people, and they like us because, you know, not because they want to make money off us. Yes, they probably won't make anything from us, but because they, yeah, because they see something familiar or something because on your fourth album you sort of have quite a few guests come in peter who was in various kind of sarah bands then alan mcgee from creation records did you ever get close to signing for alan creation McGee. no alan mcgee's not on it isn't he oh because no, it looks like oh no we were uh, because we we did a cover of one of his songs she we never understood yeah yeah no i once told her i once threw a pint at alan mcgee so he probably wasn't gonna no <laughs> no uh, was he ever tempted to sign you? Not that I know of. No, no. Uh, why, did you, why did you? Why did? Why did you throw a pint? Why did you throw a pint over him? It, it was in the early days, and yeah. um, he was—he would wear leather trousers, and um, I, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just being a snotty little shit, and he, yeah, uh, there, I think it was like it was hip to think that Alan McGee was a dickhead even though he was putting out all our favourite records. <laughs> and I think I have got in a, an argument with him about some, you know, oh, you shouldn't put out 12 inches out, it rips people off or something like that. And, and I was 
an idiot and I threw a pint on him. But it's rock well, and I, roll. I threw a pint on leather trousers. I think that was symbolic. Yeah. The, the leather trousers was like, you know, look how rich and successful I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I couldn't afford leather trousers. So Yes. So in the O years, you brought out, there was, um, is it realities? Real, realists. Realists. And then you brought out um, City Fallen Leaves. Were you, was, was the band always a sort of a side hustle? Uh, uh, um, so what do you mean, side hustle? Did you have to sort of have a day job as well? Oh yeah, oh god, yeah, yeah. I mean, a, ter- a ter- terrible side, side, terrible job, and a terrible ba- uh, band. Uh, yeah, I were I mainly worked on either record shops, secondhand record shops, or I worked in this place I mentioned before, uh, the magazine shop in Soho. Um, so yeah, <laughs> low-paying side hustles. Yes, this is tricky. So how do you sort of, because you've been, I mean, now you're up to kind of Mark, is it by Mark 3, 4 of the band, and you've sort of done... Oh, it's got Mark 3 more than that. It's, I, I lost count. People come and go, and then people come back, and then people, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like the fool. Yes. It's like the fool with less bloodshed. Yes, and Track and Field, then they were the ones who put out your album City Fallen Leaves, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and Kill Rock Stars, I think. Yeah, Kill Rock Stars in America and Track and Field in the UK. Yeah. Or Europe. Blimey, you did sort of, yeah. So for the last couple of years, you've been bringing out a few singles, a few albums, and sort of keeping it together. But recently, you've put together a compilation, isn't it? Yeah, well, I've been, because I can't, we can't record at the moment because I'm here and they're there and just general things. So I've been doing, uh, and also to support my, support my, uh, luxurious lifestyle i've been making like almost monthly these Bandcamp albums most of the time it's like you know solo things that i do at home and i thought i'm going to put out some some of the comic game stuff because you know maybe someone gives a shit and i'd found all my old tapes and cds and kind of amassed this like horrible museum of like lo-fi horror bullshit and uh, people said, luckily, people sent me like things they had. So I did one, and it w- did quite well. Um, and it, I thought it was kind of quite nice uh, alternative history of the the band because it was from you know thirty years. Yes, so it was a mix of things from way before we even recorded. It was just me and Phil, which is more like real lo-fi, scuzzy kind of punky stuff. And then I'd, I had so much of it that I just kept doing it. And then the label that we're on said, oh, uh, stick six, like give us like 15 of these songs and we'll stick them on an album or whatever it was. So it seemed like apt because we're, I think we're 30 years old this year. My God. So, because um, when you in 2011, you did the album which was titled Howl, Howl of the Lonely Crowd. This was on. Yeah. This was was Edwin Collins. Did he produce this for you? Yeah, well, half of it was Edwin, and half of it was Brian, who um, I don't know Shaughnessy, who's who does the Clientels records and Lawrence's Lawrence from Felt's records, and so it was this really nice mix of like two legendary people, and you know, it was yeah, it was that was great to do with these people I, who, who've made these amazing records and it was quite a nice experience and what studio did you put those um record that in well, uh, the brian stuff he has his own studio called bark 
in um, Walthamstow, and which is literally a kind of shed, well, like a garage. And Edwin at the time had his, his really beautiful studio in West Hampstead um, with all this incredible gear paid for by a girl like you. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that first day, at first just like to meet Edwin and stuff was really nice. And then he would just be like, um, he, you know, he'd had his stroke, but he was recovering and he was very, very nice guy, very kind of funny, really good ideas. It was one of the few times we've had a, a producer who was like, no, you shouldn't do it like that. You should do it like this. And it's like, this is Edwin Collins. You're not going to ignore what he's saying about a song to make it better. And I remember picking up this Gretsch guitar that I knew from, I was a big Orange Juice fan. It's like, is this the guitar that you, and he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can I play this one on this song? And it was just like, wow. And it was the first time in like, I'm not a very starstruck person, but it was like, I'm sitting there recording our whatever sixth album. Edwin Collins is, you know, like, cue the music or whatever. <laughs> I'm playing this guitar that I remember from, you know, this iconic kind of guitar from my youth. And that was kind of like, yeah, being in a band is all right. Yes, so, my God, that's. I remember hard. Roddy Frame as well had, had come in to like say hello to Edwin for the or something like that, and it was like, shit, these are the guys that I probably started playing music because of people like, you know, Roddy Frame and Edwin yes, Colin. the 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 postcard postcard records with Alan Horn. Yeah. Where is Alan Horn now? That's what we want to know. Anyway, the mysterious. And what was your songwriting process at this stage? Were you <laughs> were you doing the lyrics and the band were doing the music, or how no, did it? No, it was just me. I, I kind of I I kept trying to get them to do. There was a, there was moments where uh, other members of the band would have like, oh yeah, I'll do I'll do some music for this, and it never quite happened. Um, so I, I could, you know, having said that. It, they wouldn't have sounded anywhere near as good without people, people like Ben or James or whoever, uh, because they have their own styles and they know what sounds good. So you'd kind of bring a song yeah. and say, this is the, you know, this is kind of it. And they would al always improve it or, you know, say, well, you don't need, it doesn't need to be this long or this, we change this bit. So, you know, it is a group in that it's not just me going, this is the song and this is how it goes. And if you change anything, I'll fucking punch you. <laughs> it's not quite like that. Yes. So. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. You're not quite Marky Smith then. No, no, not, not yet. And were you still touring at this stage? Yeah, but we've never, I mean, we, I, we're the, we're not the world's best tourers. <laughs> I don't know if it's laziness or whatever, but. We did a few American tours. I mean, not really tours. We probably like played 10 gigs and then bugger off. And then most it kind of the last few years have more or less just been us playing in London. And not because we have not been offered other shows. It was just we were just it would just be like ugh. sometimes financially it was, you know, five people or whatever and jobs and whatever it is. It, it, yeah. Yeah, kind of. I, well, I'm sure I will regret that. Yeah, in 20 years when I'm like sitting on the veranda of my chateau and thinking like, oh, we should have done those gigs that we told them to. Bugger what about off. festivals? Did you ever do any festivals? Yeah, quite a few. We did Primavera once, and uh, um, that was that was fun. That was one of those like, have they made an? Have they made a mistake asking us? And um, 
Yeah. I mean, lately I've kind of, because I've been doing solo shows and they're mainly, kind of, you know, indie fests or whatever, like yes. Glasgow and have that indie pop thing and played in Germany and Spain. I think that's kind of like the only way you can kind of do it at the moment is like having this big organized event that, um, you know, unless you're doing an actual tour. Yes. And did you have any, I know with a lot of people, they certainly go, we were really big in Italy or we were big in Spain, you know, well, big as in an indie big, you know, people turned up and really liked it. Did you have any particular country that were really fond of the band? Uh, Well, America, West Coast and East Coast, I think weirdly, West Coast, I think. Um, Yeah, I I think we quite liked in Germany, but we've never... We only played there once. Yes. Um, and Spain. I know Spain, actually. Spain. But I, I'd say America. I mean, I, I only I judge this by the fact that we always did all right there. We always played big places. And 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 when I sell the stuff I do on Bandcamp, <laughs> my, my son makes me look at the, the map of the world where it tells you who's bought your, yes. you know, eager offerings. And it's nearly, it's nearly always America. Uh, I don't know if that's much of an indication, but excellent. Yeah. Did you who did you tour with when you were in America? Well, America, we were, I think because of Kill Rock Stars, we were seen more in the kind of punk side. Well, not I mean punk, not in the Mohawk punk, but yes. like punk is in the the spirit of. Um, so we would play with bands like the or Bikini Kill or Peach Peaches or uh, the Peaches, as in the Kill Rock Stars band. Um, yeah, more like bands like that, where in the UK it'd be more kind of maybe probably India, India bands. <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, in America it was always more of a kind of, I don't know what, what the word, alternative punk, whatever the, you know, Kill Rock Stars or K Records related bands. Yes. And so when you came to do your, was it the, your seventh studio album, Paperback Ghosts, what was the atmosphere like with you and the band at that stage? Oh, it was nice. It was we wanted to make a mellow, melancholic record, and we had James from the clientele had joined, um, which helped because you know that's what he's used to doing. And yeah, it was. I remember it being quite a fun record to make. Yes, a beautiful cover. I just thought the cover was stunning. You remember? Can I? Can I? <laughs> sorry, can I? Can I pause the interview for a, a brief yes. moment while I go to the bathroom? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll hit um, yes. That's when you needed some, like, groovy, cheesy, incidental music. Yes. So, yes, so your paperback ghost was quite mellow, relaxed, beautiful, <coughs> everything kind of optimistic, 2014. Then things get a bit strange, don't they, in the world? Did, um, yeah, so fire rises forever. So it's a bit more rocky, isn't it, and angry? Yeah, because it, yeah, because it, that I was because I, I mean, those records are kind of tend to kind of reflect, you know, whatever state of mind. And yeah, it was a kind of awful time. Unfortunately, it an awful time that has continued to progress. Um, but I, I kind of felt like, even though you're kind of. Um, the people who are going to buy your records probably agree with you politically anyway and so on and feel the same emotions. 
I think it would have been dishonest to not kind of like express how you feel to get it out of your system. Because I always kind of thought, that, you know, honesty is quite a lot of what I wanted to do with comic games. It's like, this is how I feel. This is how things are. I want to just like be honest about it. So that record was kind of an explosion of like anger at how things were. Yes. And when did you write I Can't Live Here Anymore? Was that was that the last? Right at the end of the record, yeah. It was the last song that I wrote. Uh, par- partly because it was like, there's quite a lot of anger and political fuzz guitar kind of thing. And I didn't want it just to be this like one one kind of uh, sound. Because always, I've always thought, you know, it's it's better to have different kinds of songs on your record rather than just like have 12 fast yeah. punk songs or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, do, I didn't actually know. I mean, weirdly enough, I didn't know that we were going to, for instance, move away from London and move to another country at that point. But I just kind of felt some kind of weird closure or, or something was something was happening that was meant you couldn't live here anymore. Yes. <laughs> Whether it meant like it, it's country or this, the way things are or... Uh, personally i just kind of it kind of came to me that sounds really wanky but yeah <laughs> did it was it have you i mean you you know you mentioned you were still a, as as a performing as a solo artist but did, uh, have you um have you got plans for a new album for the any anything for, for a new kind for, of re, for a new comic. album for the band comic games yeah yeah we i mean i did some i did some kind of like new songs on a one of the band camp things I did a while ago, which I sent to the rest of the band, but I, I think I played most of it. And in the next couple of months, I think we're going to try and I'm trying to get half the band to kind of like do some stuff with me. It's just, and I, I know I have it in my head. I kind of know, you know, what it's going to be like more or less, but it's just doing it physically. I haven't actually been back to London or England really since I left. So it's like, and James is busy with the clientele because they have a new record out and and everyone has their jobs. So, you know, it, it might take a while. Yes. So the the Misfit Jukebox, this is a compilation of bits and pieces that you yeah. recorded over the decades. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's either songs that never came out or versions of songs that never came out or things that are just like b-sides that completely been forgotten about that i thought were as good as anything else we did or it's yeah it's just a kind of weird combination of of like odds and sods yes really but i think i think it's quite a because it is from like the whole era i mean all, all the eras of the the band and all these different people and i think it's quite a different different sounding songs and so it's quite like a nice kind of uh if you even if you hadn't heard us before it's like kind of like this <laughs> this is kind of like a, a bit of what it's like you must be incredibly pleased yeah. to have another label who signed you signed for this particular release oh i've spent 30 years being like being credulous about the fact that people keep saying we'll oh, put the record out i i was like how have we got away with it for like 30 years uh, so yeah i mean to, to pet or to pete or to pete or however uh, you say it. they've been yeah they've been very very good to us um 
because they put out my solo record, which I'm sure no one else would have done. And they put out the Fire Razors one you just mentioned and the two this that are coming out this year. So, um, you know, and I think they, because they quite like the band, not, you know, obviously not because they think we're going to make a million with this guy, these guys. So it's quite nice that there are people out there who just like, yeah, we liked your music. Let's put your record out. That's yes. quite a beautiful thing. That is a very beautiful thing. Look, if you could have whispered something to your like 16-year-old self starting out, is there anything that you would have thought, well, yes, that would have been a good thing to have known at that time, even if you had ignored it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so many things I could have said. And I just like, yeah, it'll be okay. You know, it's like, um, I, I think I was, you know, I, I was like a lot of us, I guess I was saved, you know, by this, this music, whatever it is that we, we, we call it these, these, these records and stuff that we listen to, Yes. Uh, whether it's the Smiths or the TV personalities or whoever. And, uh, and to, to be kind of like part of it in even a small way of like maybe thinking that, you know, people will write you and say, oh, you know, this, this record or this song has made that, that has kind of made everything worthwhile. So I think it's that thing of like, just, yeah, don't worry. It's, you know, this thing that has made you the person you are and saved you from a life of, of feeling awkward and weird, you know, you, you can, you can be part of that too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Well, no, God, I mean, actually having that creative vision or that creative drive is quite amazing and did you ever sort of get kind of in touch with the original members you know after the split or has, has it never sort of come together oh yeah 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 no of course well we, we've been quite a lot recently because of this this record that's coming out and the the sessions thing yeah we've remained friends i mean i not fell out but i can i we we, we had kept our distance some of us for a few years and then it, you, like most people who get older you're just like oh what's the point it's silly you know i don't even remember why you know whatever reasons it was that we were antagonistic to each other they're so stupid and petty yeah yeah no everything is everything is beautiful good every everyone who is there is yeah unlike marky smith yes i think i somehow managed to stay on good terms with everyone (laughs) yes so on that john peel session what was the oh was this the same label who's going to be putting out this these yeah seven tracks yeah really really should tell me how to say it yes this is true actually i know there's there's a few that i often slip up and think oh sorry about that yeah oh well this is fantastic i'm so excited this is going to be an exciting thing and this new release which is coming out in june isn't it 2023 i think yeah june yes that's that's Sounds right. Yes. On Bandcamp, which is all very exciting. So Bandcamp is the go-to place now, isn't well, that's, it? Well, no, the one that's cut is going to be vinyl and CD, and it's yeah, not not bad. I mean, you can get it on Bandcamp, I think, but it's uh, yeah, limited vinyl and CD. Right. Did you have anything for rock, rock, record store day at all, or have you ever? No, I had uh, uh, no, <laughs> no, no. One day, maybe. One day it could happen. Uh, I worked quite a few record shop store days, so I didn't want to add to the general mayhem. Mayhem and misery. Anyway, yes. Was that your cat that I heard earlier? Yeah, she's decided to sit. She's right. Uh, you probably can't see her, but she, yeah, there she is. Oh my God, we love cats. Sorry. Yeah, she's just... very old, and the more the older she gets, the more annoying she gets. The more like meow. 
meow. Uh, very, you know, very loud meowing because she wants just, you just wants to, you to look at her or something. Oh, so it's, what's her name? Lily. Nice. Lily, Lily Childish was her full name. <laughs> as in like Billy Childish. But, yes, um, there you go. The Midway scene. Yes. We love them. The dentist. Did you ever get the dentist? The dentist yes. I know they've got they've they got releases. They were one of my favourites of all time. Yes. Dentists record. Yeah, I can. Was it? I can hear the flowers. No, that's not that one, is it? The strawberries are. Well, that, that, the, the out. I meant the album, but yeah, the strawberries are growing in my garden, and the, the and don't the kids just love it album? They were like, I remember buying that and just like. This is it. This is the band. <laughs> I know. Well, they've yeah. just had their uh, John Peel or no Janice Long session on. Yes. Yeah. It's got to be done. Yes, this is good. But look, thank you ever so much for your time. This has been amazing. If you want, I can always send you the link and you can put it on your social media yes, platform sites. I will, I will do anything I can to help. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And um, yes, well, good luck. And I'm yeah, looking forward to your um, yes, John Peel sessions. This is going to be good. But anyway, oh, thank look, you. thanks a lot and have a lovely evening. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Take care, Take see care. you later. And I appreciate being asked and hope I don't ramble on too oh, much. Oh, no, God, it's been great. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to David Feck, David Christian. Forgive me the time of that interview. This is, um, yeah, there is various bits of information out there, so do check it out on various social media platform sites. Looking forward to the John Peel sessions that will be coming out this year, 2023. Anyway, this is uh, C86 Show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these have been archived, interviews, that is. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, and possibly elsewhere. But anyway, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>